0: So we're on our final two weeks of the you ask for it series, and this question this week I'm actually going to do two weeks on, and uh, it's not a real heavy hitter, it's not a real you know punch to the stomach like some of them have been, um, but it's a good one to sort of reframe your thinking and and to spend some time on this because we haven't spent time on it as a church very well in the past, and the question that I was asked is what is the purpose of work, why do we work, and uh, you know why is there labor? And I thought that would be appropriate coming into Labor Day that we would talk about work. And uh, in the words of a great 20th century poet, um, it's been a hard day's night, and I've been working like a dog. It's been a hard day's night, I should be sleeping like a log. Does anybody know this poet? Yeah, it's the Beatles, of course. There they are, looking pretty dapper. And, And so the Beatles basically you know, this sort of blue collar anthem, it captured in a very few words, the sentiment of the work world. And who can't relate to those words? Is there anybody here who considers that they don't work? They're just a pure hedonist, that they don't have anything to do. They just play all the time and they have nothing to do, right? They don't have any toil. They don't have any manner of employment. There's no household chores, no family duties, no ministry. Anybody here do nothing at all? Yeah, I didn't think so. Right, so we all relate to this song. We all relate to this poem uh, that Lenin penned, and and what I want to suggest here is that there's a theological idea that that sort of manifests itself, or it shows up every single day in our lives, whether we take advantage of it or not. And it's that this that work is a blessing, and that the idea of a productive, participatory activity for mankind in creation has always been part of God's plan. That it's always been God's plan that work would be part of what we do. Work was never originally meant to be a secular pursuit purely outside of the church. Work is not just something that you do to satisfy the the demands of the world and church and and faith is something else, but instead work is actually a sacred pursuit of co-creation that work is a part of God's redeeming purpose and work plays a role in ushering in or providing a foretaste of the kingdom of God that is here and now and the kingdom of God that is yet to come. And so this sermon, as I said, is part one, and it's what I would call sort of the inspirational focus of the sermon. There will be a practical application to it, but this sermon is largely more inspirational in focus. We're looking at the big picture of work in the heart and the mind of God and what the purpose of work is, its position and creation in our lives, sort of a theology of work. That's this morning. And then next week, part two, we'll focus more on what I call the practical aspect of it, what Jesus and Paul and the other apostles say about work and how the gospel has the power to transform work and, and what the role of work is in the church and in a Christian life. So this morning is sort of inspirational in focus. It's big picture. It's the theology of work. And next week, it's going to be much more practical, but still talking about the role of work in our lives. And here's the problem that we face with work. What the Beatles said in a very few words, others have expressed in even a more pointed manner. And I have this quote here from a writer. He wrote in the 70s about work. He did a study uh, in New York on work. And it says, work is by its very nature about violence to the spirit as well as to the body. It is about ulcers as well as accidents, about shouting matches as well as fistfights, about nervous breakdowns as well as kicking the dog around. It is above all, or beneath all, about daily humiliations. To survive the day is triumph enough for the walking wounded among the great many of us. Okay, that elaborates. It's Studs Turkle. What an awesome name. And then when I saw what Studs Terkel looked like, I thought, what an awesome guy. When I get his age, I'm going to change my name to Studs Turkle and smoke a cigar, because that's just awesome. Studs Terkel is a pretty famous radio commentary, announcer, interviewer, and he did an interview in New York on, with thousands of people on work. And this is the beginning of his book that he wrote about the nature of work. It's about violence. It's about fistfights. It's about kicking the dog around. It's about, above all, daily humiliations, and to survive a day is triumph. And this is where um, the church, I think, has missed the boat, as we will see And this is what I mean by the fact that church has missed the boat because this is the reality of work for a lot of people, or this is the reality of work for big seasons of people's lives in the work world, that it is about daily humiliations. It is about ulcers and accidents and shouting matches, and work is tough. And where the church has missed the boat is that faith is more than what we do with our spare time. If you add it up, you take out your sort of duties and sleeping and all the other things that you have to do, and your work time, you have about 12% of your flexible time. And I realize that as a church, we preach a lot, and I preach a lot about what we do with our flexible time. I want you to volunteer for a ministry, or I want you to show up on Sunday morning, or I want you to read your Bible or pray, you know, or I want you to follow after God or be in communion with Him or do things with your life. But all of that is within that 12% of that flexible time. And we, we preach a lot and we work a lot in terms of thinking that our faith fits into that 12% of our time. And we have yet, and I have yet, and as a church as a whole, I sort of confess that we don't preach well to apply well to the other 88% of your life or to the other sort of 50% of your waking life, you know. And, and that's important because especially that generation of millennials that we call the millennials, they especially need to know how faith intersects work. It has to be relevant to how we spend over half of our time. Otherwise, what is the purpose of our faith? And so it's, you know, we see a generation of millennials um, who we have basically ignored how faith intersects work and how faith intersects more than 50% of their life, and then we're surprised when they're not interested in faith because it's irrelevant to them in the thing that affects them the most, which is their work. And so to see what God has to say about work and to sort of correct that, that's why I'm doing two sermons on this, uh, to try to correct that sort of absence Uh, Of speaking to what's important in our life in terms of work. And so we go back to the very beginning and see what God says in Genesis. And in Genesis, you will see that there are sort of theologically speaking, there's two mandates that God gives Adam and Eve in the garden. He gives them two mandates before the fall, before the curse, before anything else happens. He gives two mandates to humankind. The first mandate is cultural. It's in Genesis 1.26. And he says it again in 2.15. He says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So we're made in God's likeness. Keep that in mind. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. He goes on in verse 15 to say, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Okay? So this is the cultural mandate, what's typically known as the cultural mandate, that God created mankind in His image, created humans, and gave them a mandate over culture, over creation, that they should uh, till it and cultivate it and have dominion over it and care for it. And then there's another mandate that is given, and it's the marriage mandate, Genesis 2:18 and 24. He says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one, fe- one flesh. So two creation mandates. The first one is cultural and the other is marriage or familiar. And God gives us work to do. He's a God who created and he brought order to things. In the creation story we hear about how he brought order to creation and he filled the earth. And then this God who created and brought order and filled the earth, he then gives to humankind who were made in his image the responsibility to go on creating and ordering and cultivating and filling the earth. And the marriage mandate was actually given to us... For us to succeed in fulfilling the cultural mandate. Because remember he said to Adam, he said, it's not good that man should be alone. He needs a helper. And so then he creates Eve and then you have the marriage mandate. And so the marriage mandate was actually developed to aid in the fulfilling of the cultural mandate. Of the caring for the world and the cultivating of it and the filling of it. And so we have had, and this is back to my confession, we have had lots of teaching. And if you just think about church, we have lots of church systems and lots of church programs built to protect and guide and teach on the marriage mandate, don't we? We we go back to marriage probably 10, 15, 20% of the time. We bring a lot of stuff that we do in the church back to this marriage mandate. We very often submit ourselves to Scripture and we rehearse the lessons for marriage. But it's interesting that there is very little comparatively teaching OR SYSTEMS OR PROGRAMS BUILT TO SHEPHERD OUR CULTURAL MANDATE. BUT THERE'S TWO MANDATES THERE. WE HAVE A CULTURAL MANDATE AND A MARRIAGE MANDATE. AND WE RARELY SUBMIT OUR WORK LIFE TO SCRIPTURES OR REHEARSE THE LESSON OF SCRIPTURE FOR OUR WORK LIFE. WE'VE LEARNED HOW TO FOCUS ON THE FAMILY, BUT WE DON'T DO A GREAT JOB OF FOCUSING ON WORK. WE UNDERSTAND THE IMPORTANCE OF HEALTH IN OUR MARRIAGES, BUT WE'VE OVERLOOKED OUR CALL TO EXCELLENCE IN CULTURE. And God gave the cultural mandate first and the marriage mandate to support the cultural mandate. And this is a failing on our part. And so we have to address that, that we have to address the fact that we have a mandate to the ordering and the cultivating and the building and the filling of the earth as Christians. And it's a mistake because the cultural mandate is just as important as the marriage mandate. And so we know that marriage plays a big role in reflecting the nature of glory of God. That's why as a church we spend a lot of time on marriage because we know from Ephesians 5 that it's a mystery and Paul is not speaking in marriage about just marriage, but he's also speaking about Christ and the church. And so we've had that drilled into us. We understand the importance of marriage and the mandate and how it reflects the glory of God and his plan of redemption. And we know it's a picture of Christ and the church and the kingdom to come. The cultural mandate, the cultural mandate that we have neglected is also a picture of the nature of God and it plays a big part in reflecting his creativity and his order and growth and redemption of what is broken and putting right what is wrong and being a foretaste of the kingdom to come. So the cultural mandate needs our attention as well and we have to be able to apply our faith as much to our cultural mandate at work and in our vocation as we do to our marriage. So that's the theological premise, the understanding of where it comes from. It comes from the very beginning from Genesis. It comes from what God has asked us to do, the mandate that he gave to mankind before the fall. And so to understand that, to deal on that issue of the fall in terms of a theology of work, one of the first things we have to do is understand or, or recognize our misunderstanding of the curse, that work was changed, not introduced. That that it wasn't the curse that caused us to work, but labor did change because of the curse. Work was already part of what Adam was asked to do. Work was already part of what mankind was expected to do. It was in God's plan, but the curse caused it to change. And a lot of people sort of automatically think that work was part of the curse, that labor came from sin, and it would make sense, because if you look in Genesis 3, 17 to 19, it's... God says when he curses Adam and Eve, he says, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so you read that and you think, well, that's where work came from. That's where labor came from. That's why everything is so hard. And it's like it's true that labor was changed at that point. But the cultural mandate to cultivate and fill and work and order things was already there. You remember one of the first things that God asked Adam to do was to name all the creatures, right? Brought them before him, and Adam named the creatures. He was expected to participate in the creation of things and in the ordering of things. And so when the curse comes, there's consequences to marriage, and we know those consequences, and there's consequences to culture and work as well. There's consequences to both mandates. The marriage mandate changes and the, and the work mandate is affected. And there's obstacles and difficulties, but the mandates don't disappear. We're still expected to be married and redeem marriage as Christians. And we're still expected to work and redeem work as Christians. And so we need to do that in culture and we need to apply our theology of work and our understanding of God and His creativity and order and, and growth and, and rep repairing and, and His nature in that into our work. Bringing order to disorder and transforming broken to whole. You know, phrase it however you want. Work is creativity it's creating culture it's society it's bringing things into being it's it's building a house or a hospital or it's you know making a radiator radiator or a raspberry pie you know it, it doesn't matter what you're doing when you're working you're creating and you're bringing order to things and that's reflecting the creativity and the order ordering nature of god and so the curse was not the source of work the mandate to till the garden to name the creatures to fill the earth and domesticate it was present before the curse arrived but if work was part of God's first plan and we know that God has a plan to redeem the fallen world again to its original intent, then it must be that someplace in this redemptive plan that God has, we can find that God has a plan to redeem work along with all the other aspects of our life. So it must be possible that in a redemptive life, work is no longer meaningless and work contains new purpose. And so that's, that's what today is about. Today is about getting our brains kind of reset Today is about sort of getting a framework, a theology and understanding of where work comes from and how it reflects the redemptive and creative nature of God. And so what we need to do is we need to look at the secular and the sacred and realize that the secular actually is the sacred. That in, in the Christian faith, they're not divided in vocation. And what does it mean? It means that your world of work and your world of faith are not separate things. As I mentioned at the start, your faith is not something that just fits into the 12% of your life. Your faith is not just something you do on Sunday morning. It's not just something you do when you're reading your Bible before you go to bed or praying when you get up in the morning. You're, you're the sacred and the, and the faith, the sacred part of your life, spans everything that you do. And you can't compartmentalize your work and say, well, that's something that I do to serve the world. And what I do at church is something I do to serve God. It's all sacred. It all serves God. And so we need to reframe our thinking in that way. So your work or your vocation, and it's interesting because the word vocation is literally from the Latin voci, is your calling, that you're called to do it, that you're meant, it's as much a part of your faith as religious activities or moral behavior. And there is this essayist, uh, a writer, Dorothy Sayers, who wrote an essay called Why Work? And in it she says, "...in nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. She has allowed work and religion to become separate departments and is astonished to find that as a result the secular work life The secular work of the world is turned to purely selfish and destructive ends and that the greater part of the world's intelligent workers have become irreligious or at least uninterested in religion. But is it astonishing? How can one remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine-tenths of his life? And so Dorothy is saying the same thing there. She's saying, you know, why does work seem to be turned to such bad purposes of greed or accumulation or, you know, the things that, stud turkle still can't get over how great his name is uh, you know what he said at the beginning you know fist fights and ulcers and you know the corporate rat race and the ladder and climbing the ladder why have we separated these things and put them in separate departments and then be surprised when work ends up looking like it does when it's removed from the sacred but how do we do that then? So the question then remains, how, do, how is the secular made sacred? How do we look at work in this big picture, in this big theology of work? How do we look at it through the lens of God to see how the secular then can be made sacred? How can our work life be made our faith life? The first way is in reflecting the image of God, the idea of secondary or sub-creation, that we are made in God's image, right? said so Adam was made in God's image and that God is a creator, and so work, therefore, is creation. That as we work, we are reflecting the creative nature of God and that because we're made in God's image, we are by nature creators. And so any work of any sort is a creative process. J.R.R. R. Tolkien, a Christian, uh, Catholic, and a friend of uh, C.S. Lewis, they were contemporaries, and uh, you know, Tolkien was also the author of a fairly popular series of books, um, uh, The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And he was very clear that his ability and his desire, and he wrote about this often, his desire to create Middle Earth came directly from the fact that he was made in God's image and that all mankind has the desire to sub-create, or as Tolkien called it, the, to engage in secondary creation. And so Tolkien... Um, believe that because we were creators we had this urge to create that we were to engage in sub creation or secondary creation and we see this as as mankind begins to fulfill the cultural mandate we look in scripture and god records some of the earliest innovations for us in exodus as mankind is actually working out this cultural mandate that they were giving and he says in passing in the genealogies of cain in genesis 422 he talks about uh, in, in 420 he says Ada bore Jabal, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And then Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain, and he was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. And so we see in these genealogies very early on that God is recording for us this sub-creation, this secondary creation, that here are the people that you know figured out tents and, and, and herding livestock. And then there's this other guy and he invented music and, and instruments. And then there was this other guy and he was the father of all the people who forged bronze and iron. And so mankind is engaged in this cultural mandate of creating, of invention, and is fulfilling the cultural mandate of building and creating And they're not just secular tasks, but they're also sacred. Later on in Exodus, when when God is talking about the things that needed to be crafted for his temple, he talks about Bezalel, the chief craftsman of the temple. And he says of this man that he was filled with the spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with all craftsmanship to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood for work in every skilled craft. And so we have this picture of mankind engaged in this cultural mandate of invention and creating and cultivating and building cities, and you could talk about Babylon and what went on there, and, and and God said, "Look at these these people. There's nothing that they can't do if they set their mind to it." And so, secondary creation—it could be a book, it could be a kitchen cabinet, it could be a new church, it could be a rhubarb strawberry pie—but everything we do creates something new, or it redeems what was broken. And so, even a simple conversation is a creative process is creating something that didn't exist before we expressed it and we express things in words in wood or in rhubarb and we're inherently creative creatures made to reflect the image of our creator and our creativity i put the rhubarb in there because we had rhubarb pie last night and it was awesome (laughs) it was just so good (laughs) and that's creativity that's the sub-creation. And so the first thing we need as we sort of put this idea of work in a, in a theology of work is understand that we redeem the secular to make it sacred when we understand that as we work, we are engaged in reflecting the creative nature of the image of God, that he is a creator and we are made to be creative and be creators. And so when you go to work on Monday, think of what you are creating. Think of how you are in, engaged in secondary creation and how what you create then reflects on the creator that created us. And so how then is it going to reflect? The second thing is that we are stewards of creation, that work is part of the theological, cultural mandate, that we are stewards of creation and that therefore we must do good work. If the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever if work was part of what God's purpose was for man in the garden from the very beginning to enjoy God forever then work is a means by which we achieve that end of glorifying God work done well is a delight to God and a reflection of his creativity and his genius work is not something we do in order to live work is something we are alive to do and so when we go to work we realize that yes we're reflecting the creativity of of an amazing God and then we must then do good work, because to do good work with excellence is to bring glory to that creative God, and to show people that to follow that God and worship that God is to do things with excellence. Again, from Dorothy Sayers' essay "Why Work," uh, read it coming into this. Dorothy captures this perfectly. She says the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to extorting him to b- not be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Church, by all means, and decent forms of amusement, certainly. But what is the use of that if at the very center of his life and occupation he is insulting God with bad carpentry? This is for my brother Graham. No crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare, swear, dare say, came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. So Dorothy is essentially saying that if our work world is to be sacred, then we should work at it with excellence. That is one thing to say, come to church and you know, be moral and be well-behaved and you know, be a good banker and, and don't get into trouble or whatever, a carpenter or a doctor or whatever. But what is more important than that is that at work, at what is at the center of your life, you do good carpentry, that your drawers fit, that your table legs aren't crooked, that the chair doesn't collapse. Because what is the testimony of our God and our Creator if as Christians at work, our creative process is slipshod and and second rate. We have to be good stewards of the creation that God has put us in and we have to demonstrate the goodness of the creativity of God by the excellence of our work. Our secular work to become sacred, the key is not to change our jobs to become missionaries or ministers or to work for a church or a mission board. For our work to become sacred, we must simply work well in what we're called to. We have a calling. We have a vocation. Do it well to reflect well on our Creator. And the Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Paul is saying, if you're a soldier, stay a soldier. If you're a slave, stay a slave. If you work in banking, be a banker. If you work as a lawyer, be a lawyer. In whatever condition you were called, whatever your vocation is, remain with God. And then he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. And Peter says the same thing. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So all of that to say that second point, that the secular aspect of our life, the work life that we have is made sacred as we work well to be good stewards and be good workers at what we're called to do. And so if we just think about our calling in this cultural mandate, it's God is calling us to do the things that we do well. Thirdly, the third way in which the secular is made sacred or our work or our vocation can be made sacred, made part of our faith, is to understand this, very interesting thought it's a very interesting application to the theology of work especially to the generation emerging today as i talked about the millennials because there's something about this generation that's very interesting that they're characterized by actually something quite noble it's a generation that's very interested in change That they're very interested in applying their life in a way that actually makes a difference in the world. And that's true whether they're Christian or not. Millennials as a whole are characterized by this. And they are concerned that their lives and their careers are not just chasing after money or spinning on a wheel in the rat race. They are concerned to a certain degree, the millennials are, that what they do is focused on making a change and having meaning and making a difference. And so in that regard, it's very important as a church that we help them understand that faith is not about the 12% but about the 88%, that faith is not irrelevant to work, and that indeed it's fundamentally sound theology to say this, that God intends our work and our vocation and our labor to be a transformative power of redemption in the world. Millennials need to see this. All of us need to see that this is exactly what God intended. That our work is made sacred because by our work, God is actually intending to be a force of redemption in the world. And what do I mean by this? I mean that our vocation is not incidental. When Jesus came and taught, he taught mostly about the kingdom, kingdom of heaven that was to come. His parables, you remember, are parables about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard, is like a mustard seed. Or the kingdom of heaven is like this. Or the kingdom of heaven is like this. He told all these parables about the kingdom. His Sermon on the Mount was a sermon about the ethics of the kingdom to come. His signs and his miracles were demonstrations of the kingdom power that was to come, the inbreaking of the kingdom into this present age and the future, what the future kingdom was going to be like. The teaching and the miracles and the parables of Jesus were all about the kingdom. In the future, there's not going to be blindness. And so he says, here's a taste of that reality as he cures blindness. He says, in the new kingdom, there's not going to be any death. And so he says, here's a taste of what it is to not have death. And he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And so the ministry of Christ was bringing a foretaste of the kingdom into the present reality. Are you with me? And so Jesus invites us to participate in that, in that revelation of the kingdom, in that redemption of the world. He calls us through our work to be part of that process of wholeness and justice and reconciliation and health and plenty. And as we go through our day at work as a banker or as a bus driver or as a doctor or as a carpenter, we get to be the people working through the spirit in our vocation to give people a foretaste of the goodness to come, to redeem them from the curse of the world by just a little bit by what we do every day. Whether we're a doctor or whether we're a banker or whether we're a carpenter or a bus driver, we are participating in showing the world the kingdom that is to come in just a little way by making somebody healthy, right? Or by giving people the resources that they need to exceed, right? Or just by uh, getting people from one place to another. We are participating in this foretaste of the kingdom to come, that we are ordering things and bringing justice to things and fixing things that are broken and bringing new things into creation. And so the third way that we take the secular and we make it sacred is we realize that everything that we do is acting in a little bit in the redemption of the world, that we have an opportunity to redeem people's lives in a tiny way, even if it's just serving them a meal. We're serving them in a way that's a foretaste of the kingdom to come, just a shadow of what is coming in heaven. And so this is the sort of the big picture of work. And so what we need to do then is we sort of reorient our minds towards this idea of work and what we do Monday to Friday is that we recognize that work is not the curse, that work was meant to be sacred. That work can be redeemed to be sacred again, that, that work is secondary or sub-creation, that, that the things that we do, whether we're making rhubarb pies or whether we're building a house or whether we're building a hospital, anything that we do creative in that way, it's a secondary or sub-creation and a reflection of our nature and our image of the Creator. And that work cares for creation. And work tends to creation and work redeems creation and that everything that we do that cares for and stewards and cares for one another and cares for creation is a foretaste of the full redemption that is to come. It's just a tiny shadow of the complete redemption that is to come. And so as we think about work in that way, we realize that our work has a far deeper meaning than just a paycheck, you know, that gets our groceries. You know, it's more than just a mortgage payment. Our work is actually a reflection of our Creator God. Our work is actually an expression of our ability to redeem the world just a little bit every day. And so this is the inspirational side. This is sort of the big picture. Where does work fit into the theology of the church and how do we as a church focus again on that other mandate not just the marriage and the relational mandate but on the on the mandate to care for creation on the the mandate to build culture well on the mandate to participate in filling and ordering and cultivating the earth and we do that through work and that's our mandate as christians and so it's it's inspirational but i hope it's also practical and i hope it's practical in this way because right theology affects right thinking And as right theology begins to transform our right thinking, then right thinking conforms us to a right nature. And as we as Christians then have a right nature and a right attitude towards something like work, then right nature and right attitude leads to right behavior, and we start to act differently and be different at work. And so we don't want to be people that dread work, but people that redeem it. We don't want to misunderstand the purpose of work, but understand work's proper place. We want to see our work through the lens of creation and stewardship and redemption and the coming kingdom. Those are the theological categories that work fits into. Work is about creation. Work is about stewardship. Work is about redemption. Work is about the kingdom that is coming. And next week, we're going to look at what Jesus and Paul and the other apostles have to say about work, and we're going to get into the details of how the gospel informs our attitudes towards work and our relationships with people at work. But before I got into that, I wanted to back up and basically do a little background on where does work fit into the theology of God? Where does work, where where do we get our heads into a proper framework to understand creation and stewardship and redemption in terms of work? So I hope that that inspires you and from that inspiration then leads you to view work differently on Monday morning. Let's pray. Father God, It is incredible that you have a plan to redeem every part of our lives. And Father, uh, forgive us for our sometimes the easiness in which we're distracted when we go to work and work quickly just becomes that thing we do for the world to get by and, and sort of pay the world its price for us to live and maybe even think that we just go to work so that it can free us up to do ministry and forget that we can do ministry at work, that the work is our ministry that we have a vocation, a calling, literally, and that we are to remain in the place that we are called and where you've called us to, that we can be a minister even in the very work that we do. Not not just a minister because we can evangelize to our co-workers or do ministry in and amongst our work, but that our actual work is a ministry. That to do things with excellence and to create things well is a reflection of you as creator. That to serve each other humbly and to um, redeem those tiny areas of our life, whatever we can fix for somebody or provide somebody something new or uh, encourage them or get them where they need to go or support them in what they need to do. It's a redemptive act. It's just a foretaste of the perfect redemption that's to come. Lord, all of these things, we need to settle in our hearts and in our minds. That work is not a drudgery. Work is a blessing. That it is a hard day's night and that sometimes it is about kicking the dog that that, Lord, you plan to redeem that. And as Christians, we have to let you into every area of our life. And so I pray that for us on Monday morning, uh, that as we go to work, we would go with a fresh heart and a fresh look at what you plan to do in our life at work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.